and welcome to episode 172 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. You at home, Ben? I'm at home. Cool. How's, uh, how's home treating you these days? It's good. My fridge is mostly empty. And so I've been eating yogurt and bananas and carrots and apples today. <laughs> nice. I too have been eating some apple today and drinking coffee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wait, do you even drink coffee, Ben? I have had it on occasion. I don't know that it helps me. So I, I don't necessarily feel any more awake when I drink it. And then like on occasion, <laughs> I've had a lot because I felt like, oh, I'm tired and this stuff doesn't work for me. So I'm going to uh-huh. drink a lot of it. And then my hands start shaking and I'm like, yeah. this, this, none of this is good for me. So <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I'm out of here. Yeah. But you need it sometimes to balance out if you OD on melatonin. You have to have both. <laughs> some right. of both, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I can I can uh, chow down on melatonin. It doesn't seem to have much of an impact either. So <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, Today yeah. on the show, we have a message from the dean of my alma mater, UC Hastings, another one of his beautiful, lengthy Orwellian emails. Let's we, say that again. Lengthy. Oh my gosh. This guy can't stop writing. Oh, he is, he is full of himself. It's, it's amazing when he gets going, boy, he loves <laughs> listening to his own. You can tell that he's really enjoying he's, he's picking up what he's laying down. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, a question about how law schools weigh graduate school. That seems like something we've talked about before, but we'll dive back into that. We have a letter of recommendation question. We have, oh boy, a request to review someone's personal statement. That's personally my favorite part of the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we have uh, LSAT India question number six, if there's time. Awesome. You can email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. When you do that, go ahead and send us a uh, selfie, yourself uh, studying, um, falling asleep studying with your cat on your back, like uh, Annalisa sent in last week. We have <laughs> 1,174 members in the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can join us there. You can give the Thinking LSAT Facebook page a like while you're there. The show is at Thinking LSAT on Twitter. I'm at N Fox. Ben is at Olson Benjamin. And you can go to strategyprep.com to learn about all of Ben's offerings, including live classes in DC. You can go to foxlsat.com to learn about my offerings including live classes in LA and San Francisco. We both have all kinds of one-on-one options, including, or sorry, online and one-on-one options. Um, We have our joint project, which uh, we're both increasingly excited about, which is the LSAT demon. Ben, how's it going with the LSAT demon? Oh, it's consuming my life. I mean, I told you that (laughs) on Saturday night, right? I met with uh, AJ, who's helping us. Yep. A podcast listener, by the way, as well who uh, we got on the call and it was supposed to be like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And three and a half hours later, I was like, AJ, you're still here <laughs> and we're still figuring this out. But it was uh, for the 35 minute um, time to sections feature that's going to be coming out. I can say with 97% confidence before this episode airs, it will be available. The, the developers are actually working on it right now. So I just got off another call with the developers this morning. They had ran into a couple problems with that. Um, these things are always more complicated than they seem yeah. on the surface. But 
they're working on it right now. So that's exciting. Beautiful. That is lsatdemon.com. It's an AI platform for studying LSAT on the go. You can do LSAT questions anywhere, and it learns from your mistakes and presents you with questions that are appropriately at your level. There's a free trial. Mm -hmm. People are raving about it. So lsatdemon.com. Check it out. Yeah. All right. Ready to dive into this uh, awesome email from Dean Fegman? Yes, I want to hear this. <laughs> About the California July bar results? Oh my gosh, this is so bad. Do you want to read it? Sure. I think you should read it. Go ahead. I, I can read his um, poetic academic prose. So wait, this is the title? This... <sighs> Okay, so this email has an, has a logo at the top of Hastings. And and all, all in bold, it has a title that says, Message from Dean Fagman. Is that how he pronounces his name? Fagman, yes. Now, Fagman. now I'm wanting to look up the email. Yeah, the, the email, <laughs> it actually, that's actually the subject line. Okay. Mes- Message from Dean Fagman, colon, California, July bar results. Yes. We all know that the message is from you since that's what the from column in our email boxes tell us. <laughs> well, it actually comes from UC Hastings alumni something. So it doesn't, doesn't uh, actually come from, he, well, no, he can't send it from his email address because then people would respond to him. It's an he, idiot. <laughs> this is a one way communication, Ben. This is coming <laughs> well, from the top. Hold on. So when we do like MailChimp campaigns and stuff like that, you can have it coming from any email address that you verify. But then That's the true. name is whoever you want it to be. So they could say, okay, this email is going to come from Dean Fagman. But anyways, message from the Dean. Here we go. Dear UC Hastings community, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I am writing with news and a few thoughts about the California bar exam resulting from this or results from this past July. Okay, here goes nothing. This year, the news is mixed. UC Hastings class of 2018 continued a two-year trajectory of steadily improving (laughs) performance relative to the state average. Well, that sounds like great news, Nathan. Why are you laughing? Uh, Just a a two-year trajectory of steadily improving performance? We got two data points. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think, I mean, two, two data points does make a line, but I don't know that you would be able to say that it's steadily improving I'm actually from two glad, data points. I'm actually glad that you said that two points do make a line because that is the bare minimum yes. to make a line. If you have one point, you now no longer have a line. Yes. So, this is the very first moment in mathematical like possibility <laughs> to create a line and he's calling it a trajectory. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. But the benefits of our recent educational reforms haven't yet been fully realized. And the California pass threshold or cut score continues to burden graduates who would be welcomed into the practice of law in nearly every other state. Okay. As you know, we have been working hard to improve our school's average performance by, among other things, requiring more upper division bar courses, giving closed book exams to train students how to memorize, thank you, teaching legal analysis alliteratively, what's wrong with me, Nathan? And more explicitly across the curriculum, okay, 
and providing more post-graduation coaching and other support for our graduates studying for the bar exam. Okay, so we've tried to help them with doing all these things. These efforts are beginning to pay off, whereas the overall July 2018 California bar exam first-time pass rate declined by 6% for ABA-accredited schools from 70% in 2017 to 64% this year, the UC Hastings first-time pass rate declined by about 2% to 60% (laughs) and was 61% for first-time test takers from the class of 2018. Wait a sec. (laughs) Their efforts are beginning to pay off. As you can see, it's dropping just not as fast as the rest of the state. And it's still lower than the rest of the state. Yeah, only only Dean Figman can spin. <laughs> Our bar passage rate is lower than the state average and declining. And he's he's this is for him, this is encouraging news because it fell, but not as much as the other schools fell. So he's he's catching up to the state average. That that should be that should be Hastings tagline. You see Hastings. <laughs> catching up to the state average but still not there yet <laughs> still still catching up steadily catching up to the state average uc hastings so this is interesting because even if uc hastings had not dropped right even if they had stayed at 62 percent, because they dropped they declined by about two percent to 60 percent. so they yes. were at 62 percent. even if they had stayed steady they still would have been two percent lower than the state after a 6% drop. <laughs> so this, the state would have dropped 6% and UC Hastings would still be lagging behind. Yeah, we were 8% behind the state average. Now we're only 4% behind the state average. So that's what he's focusing Go us. on. <laughs> Go we're us. We're killing it. I don't understand this stat. It was 61% for first-time test takers from the class of 2018. So they just... The 60%, I guess, has first-time test takers from the class of 2017 in it i guess they they put it off for a year <laughs> i don't know why anyone would ever do that but that seems like the only possible explanation for that yeah Ooh, he continues this is an encouraging trend mm-hmm. declined by two percent that's encouraging yeah and one that continues to progress from last year wait 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 what so the trajectory is downward didn't he say it's steadily improving performance relative to the state yeah of course this is when you go this is what all lawyers do right you read it and you're like oh yeah okay and then you go back and you say oh what they technically said is true oh boy yeah it's like my diet's going really well ben i only gained five pounds this year but the average american gained 10 (laughs) so i'm i'm like (laughs) i'm totally killing it My, my fitness program is working yeah, relative to the rest of America, I'm do- I'm steadily improving. Yes. As I go down. Okay. <laughs> I congratulate our 2018 graduates who passed the exam, and my heart goes out to those who did not. <laughs> Thank you. That's the end of his first page of the email. I, the, it continues for oh, a long time. We're, yeah, we're not even read. halfway yet. I'm sorry. I can't even stop in this email. I have long been a critic of the California bar, and I am now convinced 
more than ever that the long-used cut score for establishing the pass-fail line is unconscionable and must be changed. California has a cut score, i.e. the score needed to pass the exam, thanks, don't ever use i.e., of 144. We are the only state to have a cut score over 140 other than Delaware, where 172 applicants took the bar in July 2018, compared to California's 8,071. The median irrelevant fact. Yeah. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? So Delaware is more competitive, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect very many people. In some ways, to me, that suggests that California's cut score should be higher because there are right. so many people trying to enter this godforsaken p- profession. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, please, we're going to do you a favor and it's going to hurt now. And even if Dean Fagman. Fagman's heart goes out to you, you don't want his heart going out to you. You should, you should um, cut your losses now. The bar is here to protect you, just like the LSAT was three years ago. The median score needed to pass nationwide is 135. Okay. So it's unconscionable that, yeah. that, the, that it's five points higher. What's it out of? I don't even know. Or, sorry, four of. points higher. Uh, so, no, sorry, nine points higher. 144 <laughs> is the... Who cares? It's just, it is what it is. It's like, dude, you're the dean of a law school in California. Yeah. It's not like this is new. This is how it's always been. And you're your school is below the state average. You're complaining about the cut score for the state while your school is below the state average performance. You don't have any standing to make that argument, but he, he continues making it. All right, here we go. In New York, the state with a legal practice, most like California's in scale and complexity, the cut score is 133. I actually find that surprising. I felt like the New York bar is another bar that's hard to, pass. Well, you know, it could also be, we're not talking about the bar graders, right? Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I'm very confused. <laughs> I don't know what the score has to do with anything. It's, it's like comparing the score on the GRE to the score on the LSAT. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's another thing too. When you have a bad argument that you have to make, it's best just to keep talking because then it's easy to get lost in these numbers and details and Hey, he must be right. In California, the July 2018 pass rate for first-time takers from California's ABA-accredited law schools was 64%. <laughs> yeah, we already learned that. In New York, the comparable rate was 83%. No evidence suggests that exam takers from ABA-accredited law schools in New York were more qualified than those in California. In fact, evidence suggests the contrary. Graduates- was a second semicolon. Yeah, where was his first one? In the first paragraph, right mm. before a but. Mm. Graduates of California law schools passed the New York bar at a rate of 85%. Ooh, 2% higher. And compared to the 64% rate in California for the state's ABA accredited schools, the rate for out of schools, out of state schools was only 58%. <laughs> Almost as bad as Hastings. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The Californians who are going to New York to take the bar, 
totally probably been accepted at big law firms in the totally yeah that's a that's such a bogus (laughs) such a bogus stat (laughs) okay the fact of the matter ooh, the fact of the matter is that our graduates and the graduates of our sister schools are better prepared for passing the bar than most law law graduates in the united states well hold on a second now your graduates are less prepared for passing the bar than the most law graduates in California, the state where your school is. Yeah. Anyway. I agree. Okay. Indeed, based on an assessment conducted in 2016, before (laughs) these numbers dropped, by the way, if the New York cut score were applied to the class of 2018's exams, UC Hastings would have had a pass rate over 83%. A cut score. You can't transfer cut scores. That's like what you're saying. <laughs> They're two different freaking diff- tests. <laughs> it's a different exam of different law. <laughs> okay. Well, just keep talking. Yep. California's practice is untenable and, and must change. And I am working to bring change at the state level, pursuing both legislative and legislative engagement and collaborating with others similarly distressed about this egregious situation. (laughs) This guy's got his, like, adjectives all over the place. However, whatever the state might do, we must continue to be vigilant in ensuring that our students have the skills to pass this basic licensure exam. Licensure. My challenge to all our listeners is to use that word once this week. (laughs) And try not to get anyone to raise an eyebrow. We've done much already to ensure our students' success, as indicated by our bucking the statewide trend this year. (laughs) We didn't drop as much. Our pass rate went down. We bucked the trend. Yeah, we're just like (laughs) blazing trails. Also, it was so low to begin with. Like it was so it was so horrible. And it went down. So that it didn't go down as much. It's like, yeah, dude, it didn't have as much room to drop. How do people like this get? get jobs like dean of law schools i want to know how much money he makes because i'm sure he makes a shit ton of money i mean he he must be making half yeah. a million dollars a year or more that's out that, that's why he's writing this email too he's like i'm gonna lose my, my yeah job. oh no he's he wants to maintain power that's for sure we will continue to do our utmost to support our students in every way possible from ensuring a curriculum that produces excellent lawyers to providing the tools to get through the bar exam. More hot air. Okay. I am so incredibly proud of all of our graduates and I have the utmost. Did he just say utmost again? Yep. Utmost confidence in their capacity and promise to be extraordinary lawyers. More hot air. I wish our current students the very best of luck on their exams and the entire UC Hastings community Warm wishes as we enter the holiday season. Best regards, capitalizing regards, dear God, David Fagan. (laughs) Oh, it's delightful. Wow. It's delightful. The one thing that could be done immediately to improve Hastings' bar passage rate is not mentioned in this email. Hmm. Uh... Raise your LSAT requirements. Yeah. Raise your admission standards. In order to do that, you're going to have to shrink the size of the class. 
lose money, which means that you're not going to have as much money coming in, which means you're not going to be making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars off of this nonprofit law school. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, there we go. Always is always is like, go ahead. (laughs) What? Yeah. Oh, I was just uh, saying if anyone ever wants to become Dean, this is the textbook uh, method, apparently to learn how to talk and spin dropping numbers into rising numbers. He's a lawyer, but boy, I mean, (laughs) that's not a very good argument. That is really questionable. Anyway, uh, all right, moving on. Yep. Okay. Dear Nathan Fox. Wow, formal. Uh, My name is Mark, and I am a doctoral candidate at Redacted. I found your text introducing the LSAT to be incredibly helpful and inviting. I especially liked your tips for the LR portion of the LSAT because in my line of work, I have a tendency to think abstractly, which I began to realize was arguably my greatest flaw while preparing for this test. I am taking the LSAT next Saturday, so hopefully I'll be able to breathe a sigh of relief afterwards. In your book, you noted that you love it when readers reach out to you and that you responded to those who needed assistance. As I mentioned, I'm a PhD candidate and I will be defending my dissertation next spring. Fortunately, I've had full funding the entire time. Although I will apply for potential academic job openings in addition to law schools, I realized since last year that everything I was doing, including teaching, coursework, research, and publishing, touched on the law to some capacity. In fact, my dissertation is on video game modifications and perceptions of control, and mods have always blurred legal boundaries. Put succinctly, I want to assist gamers, creators, and indie developers as creation of meaning through our media outlets become becomes mm. more com- complex. Mm. Okay. Uh, in any event... That's how I ended up at this intriguing, albeit stressful, crossroads. Due to my background, I plan to use law school to position myself as an expert of video game studies and intellectual property. I have taught, presented at conferences, and published on both of these topics. This is a very niche field, but I've developed the skills for it. Although my undergrad work wasn't awful, 3.5, and I insanely attempted to triple major at one point, the real individual that add add that the real individual oh that. the real individual that law school don't say individual that way i hate <laughs> yeah. when people refer to people as individuals <laughs> you're referring to yourself Re- yeah. referring to yourself as an individual wow um okay the real individual that law schools will be getting is the scholar i have become <laughs> ultimately my question is this how can i showcase my graduate career as opposed to my undergraduate work yes at the heart of this question is how law schools view graduate and professional work and if funding plays a role at all what if i may be brutally honest if i walk away from the lsat with like a 161 i'll pat myself on the back really Yet, as I studied and restudied these last few months, I began to realize that what concerns me most about the application process is how to make my PhD something that stands out, as I am quite proud of the scholar I have become. To be certain, I know the importance of UGPA and the LSAT, but if my graduate work is considered a soft credential, I at least want to make sure it's a darn good one in order to make myself competitive. 
<laughs> well, you can't do anything about it. It is what it is. I know. Sorry, I don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm losing patience, but we're almost done. Me too. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I'm not sure if these sorts of questions are what you had in mind when you published your book, but I figured it was worth a shot all the same since I discovered the internet was an echo chamber for this question. Any advice would be helpful, and I look forward to your response. Sincerely, Mark. All right. Well, I really do like it when, you know, I, I put my phone number and my email address in my books for a reason because I, I do love it when readers um, reach out to us. We love when listeners to the show reach out. Again, that's help at thinkingelset.com. If you want to ask a question, we encourage people to do that. What is the question here is what again? Oh, how can I showcase my graduate career as opposed to my undergraduate work? Ben, why don't you take it? Write a personal statement about the work you've been doing now. And if you have the option to write uh, an optional essay about something else that is unique and different from your personal statement, but still involves what you've been doing now, then write about that, which is what you should be writing your personal statement about anyways, right? If you've been out of school or undergrad for this long and you're working on a PhD or you have a PhD, I guess he's working on it, but that's what they want to know about. They want to know about the you now, the individual now, <laughs> not um, the individual from undergrad. So I guess, sorry, my reaction to your sentence when you said, if my graduate work is considered a soft credential, I at least want to make sure it's a darn good one in order to make myself competitive. I guess what you're trying to ask is how do I showcase it so it's a darn good one? Because it's not going to change. It is what it is. But how do you sell it? I, I would talk about some hard thing that you've done. I actually think the fact that you've given speeches on this topic indicates that you're a recognized expert. And for that reason, I would talk about that. I, I don't know that they necessarily value, quote, scholars any more than they value experts who clearly have been recognized as such. I almost feel like you consider yourself a scholar, um, but other people aren't necessarily calling you that. But you are an expert in this particular field of video gaming and intellectual property and leverage that. If that's how you want to, if you want to make sure your soft is a darn good one, Talk about one in which you're clearly recognized as that expert and they will believe it and like you for it. Yeah, personal statement is the only recourse here. I mean, if you, you want to point to your PhD, you can do that in the personal statement, but you also have to be realistic. I mean, you are a 3.5 and a 161, or you're saying, if I walk away from the LSAT with like a 161, I'll pat myself on the back, which actually indicates that you're probably, I mean, he's, he's probably somewhere in the 150s right now. And hoping to get up there, yeah. I don't care how many times you call yourself a scholar. If you have an LSAT score in the 150s, you're just not going to impress anybody. Yep. Your index is what it is. I mean, your index is made up of your undergraduate GPA and your LSAT, your highest LSAT score on record. And if, if 161 is indeed the highest you end up getting, then your 161 and 3.5 is just not going to result in an awesome index. So I don't know where you want to go to school, and I don't care. I, I don't know how much you want to pay, but you know, <laughs> the best thing you could do is get a better LSAT score. 
Yeah. Don't you think, Ben? I mean, what? Yep. You t- you telling me <laughs> that you're a scholar doesn't do anything compared to you showing me a 165 or a 170. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't there is no PhD that's worth you know another five LSAT points. Yep. So instead of focusing on, it's almost like he's wishing here. He's like he he wishes that the PhD was a hard factor. Mm-hmm. Instead of the soft factor that it actually is. Yeah. The LSAT is the hardest of hard factors. And, you know, you just need to do better there. So maybe you need to spend more time on it. I mean, you're just finishing your graduate work right now. Maybe the LSAT has been too much for you. You haven't haven't really had the time to, to, to devote to it. But maybe you need to slow down on your rush to law school. Mm-hmm. And just work for a while and get a better LSAT score because that's that's the only thing that's going to make a, a a real big difference for someone at your level. Boy, if you're scoring in the 150s, I mean, I don't know, I just that that doesn't that doesn't scream awesome intellectual property lawyer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All right. Moving on. Yep. Moving on. Thanks, Mark. Weekly pearls. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Weekly pearls versus turds. All right. The current scoreboard is. Zero pearls, four turds, and one tie. Oh, let me read this. So here's a potential pearl or turd. If you're not sure whether or not a sentence is a conclusion, try mentally inserting the word therefore or because in front of it. Only one of them should make sense. If because makes sense, it's a premise. If therefore does, it's a conclusion. It's okay to mentally rearrange the order of the sentences. Therefore, won't make sense if it's the first sentence in the passage. End of tip. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, a quick tip for main point questions given to an emailer. All right. What do you think about this? I think we have our first pearl. Okay. I, I like this trick a lot. I, there are many arguments on the logical reasoning where you can't, where they don't give you all the keywords like therefore and Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and rearranging the order of the sentences is great. And Mm -hmm. especially inserting the word therefore is great. You can, it's it's sort of like you can try it on, like try therefore at the beginning of each of the sentences in the argument Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and see if it just feels right to you. Yeah. Right. It's just, you just get the sense of it. Like, oh, I see these other sentences. Therefore, this sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the thing after the therefore is the conclusion. So yeah. I would give this, I, w- I would say that this is our first pearl, but what do you, what's your vote? I have given this advice before. So it might be hypocritical not to give it a pearl rating. <laughs> but I, I guess I, it depends on what our definition of a pearl is. But I'm kind of leaning towards the tie ranking. And and the reason for that is that I have not said it as much in class because lately, because I feel like a lot of people then kind of like jump to it as opposed to just like what's being said. Do you understand it? Do you understand the idea of that sentence? Do you understand the idea of that sentence? And on a more fundamental level, which one do you think is being used as support for the other? Interesting. As opposed to just using the word. I, I, I'm, I've given the advice, but yeah. 
I, I could, I mean, I think people do sometimes use it correctly, but I guess I yeah. can hear what you're saying too, that some people will just like sort of robotically start putting therefore at the beginning of every sentence and not really understand the, the purpose of that. Yeah. That's what you mean, right? People are mm-hmm. just not, not actually tuning into the logic. They're just trying on therefore to see if it sounds right. <laughs> like yeah. the word therefore without the meaning of therefore. Yes. Okay. All right. And then, so, and then they say to me like, Hey, it, it kind of could make sense either way. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> no, it well. could not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I, so then it's kind of like, well, did you think about what's being said? And so then I'm afraid that the advice has sort of allowed them to again, jump to like a shortcut or something. So that's why I'm a little hesitant about the advice itself. Yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, it takes, we have to both vote pearl for it to be a pearl. Oh, okay. So yeah. Right. That's a tie. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Zero, four, and two. We're still on the lookout for the first pearl. So everybody needs to email help at thinking com when they hear, um, when they hear tips that they would like us to, to discuss on the show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's a quick email. Uh, hi, Ben and Nathan. What are your tips for writing a letter of recommendation for oneself on behalf of an supervisor. (laughs) I love that this email is short. Congratulations on that. It should be a supervisor, but you know, thanks H Palm H Palm. All right. H Palm. You know, when I first saw this, maybe it's because my glasses are not, I thought that said porn. I was like, thanks H porn. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Thankfully it's just H Palm. M's do sometimes look like RNs, and especially when it's the word palm, that 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 does look like porn. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Okay. So I would suggest following our advice for personal statements, stick to facts and just tell stories from the perspective of your supervisor. I enjoy working with so and so last summer or earlier this year, comma. She took the lead on an important project for our biggest client, period. She did X, she did Y, and the client accepted, you know, decided to work with us because of the work she did. Just like stick to facts, they're the most persuasive. Um, I think it's also easy for your supervisor to sign off on, right? When you start saying like a bunch of complimentary things about yourself, your supervisor will probably sign the letter anyways because they just want to get it done and get it out the door. But when you write a bunch of facts, they're just going to read it and be like, yeah, she did that. And it might even persuade your supervisor that you're an awesome employee and should be given a raise. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I mean, definitely sticking with facts. You're you're saying show, don't tell. Yep. Show, don't tell. That's the key. I, I would also add maybe think about the entire package you're presenting. So think about your personal statement. Think about your other letters of recommendation. Think about what, what skills you would like to highlight that maybe aren't showing already mm-hmm. on your personal statement and see if you can show those skills. Yeah. But, but really you just need to, you know, thank your supervisor. I'm sure the supervisor, well, the supervisor it's one, they're trying to be nice. And also one a they're, just being lazy by, you know, having you draft it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you, yeah, if you stick to facts, just accomplishments also, yeah, make it clear that the supervisor knows you 
say the nature of your work relationship, how long you work together and in what capacity. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Good point. And then just, yeah. Detail all the stuff that all the awesome stuff you've done at that job. Okay. That was an easy one. Yep. Oh boy. Here we go. Oh, wow. Oh, this is a personal statement. Yeah. Do you want to tackle this one? Since I got, I got the personal statement email at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Fagman killed you. Yeah. yeah. All right. It says, hi, Nathan and Ben. I listen to your podcast almost every morning and I appreciate almost every morning. Nice. I was trying <laughs> I to get that up to nice every morning. Word. <laughs> <laughs> I come up with, but you could start your day with meditation. You could start it with, um, well, actually I shouldn't say everything I'm thinking right now, but in any case, yeah. Interesting. Started with the podcast. Yeah, I think I think every day. We let's get that up to every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I listen to your podcast almost every morning, and I appreciate all the help you have given me and others that are pursuing law school. Please read my personal statement and give me some constructive feedback. You guys are the best! Exclamation point. Most sincerely, anonymous. Okie doke. Here we go. Asking for constructive feedback. Well, that is what we do, isn't it, Ben? <laughs> I consider it constructive. I have a friend who's really into the idea of a, a management technique called creative destruction. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard that phrase, but yeah, can you remind me of what people are thinking when they say that? It's basically what we do when we destroy personal statements. Okay. I mean, we we are we're going to break down all of your horrible shit so that you can rebuild it better. Did you say, wait, is it creative destruction? Yes. Creative destruction. Oh, and the creative is not, is like referring to the idea that you can then start from ground zero almost. Yeah. Just that it's, it's, you know, it's it, in one, it's kind of like excuses. It's making an excuse for being an asshole is, yeah, is one, another name really for is. it. Yeah. Yes. A euphemism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen it work. I've, I've seen it. He, he's really good at managing big groups of people huh. and big egos and just getting the most out of people. Hmm. So people love him and hate him. He just, you, you get the, like this guy, you'll feel his wrath. If you do something that is not what he wants you to do, you're going to mm-hmm. hear about it basically. Yeah. And, uh, he's, he's right more often than he's wrong. And he definitely ruffles people's feathers a lot, mm. but, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so yes, we will give you some constructive feedback, but that will, it's the same as when we're editing, right? In our personal statement service, yeah, yeah. which you can learn about at thinkinglset.com. Sign up for it, thinkinglset.com. But we go through round after round after round, back and forth. We just kind of toss it back and forth, Ben and I do. and Or actually, we toss it back to the owner of the personal statement and let them consider our changes. And then we take turns on it, right? Multiple yeah. rounds of it. But we just... <laughs> it's 95% of what we say is get rid of this, lose this. This is just telling stop with all the adjectives. (laughs) You know, this sentence is a run on, this is broken, fix your punctuation here. Bad word choice. (laughs) It's like, we're not everything else you can keep, but Mm -hmm. this 95% of stuff is problems. And then we'll ask you some questions about more stuff that you should include. But we don't do really the feedback sandwich. I don't. 
Feedback. Oh, no, no, no. Feedback sandwich. Unfortunately not. Um, we might say every now and then this is getting better. Yeah. And I'll also, if there is something in the statement that I love, I will oh, yeah. definitely put like, oh, I love this. Keep it for sure. Like, I we're, love this phrase not or something for like it. that. No, I'm not going to go out of my way. I have too much. <laughs> I have too many criticisms to give you. I'm sorry. I don't have time to come up with like a fake compliment before my criticism and then another fake compliment after my criticism. Yeah. I just yeah. need to get to the, I got to get to the, the, you know, get down to business. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anonymous says out of 80 AmeriCorps members, I was one of two people who were chosen by the director of the red cross to be his indispensable right hand to provide disaster relief in Colorado in 2013 after the 100 year floods. What do you think? Okay. I like the fact that this is a fact about the person. I like the fact that they were chosen by the director of the red cross. I don't like how long this sentence is. It's got too many details, which is interesting because we're usually trying to get details, but when you say in Colorado in 2013, after the hundred year floods, you've already done three. Um, what are those things called? I don't even know what they're called, but where you're modifying your sentence. Um, to me, it just seemed to take too long. Yes. In, in Colorado in 2013, after the 100 year floods, it's just going on and on. Yeah. This is one of those things that I feel like, uh, anonymous might've caught, uh, if he or she read it out loud. Mm hmm. Because you just like you, you would literally have to stop and take a breath halfway through that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the 80 AmeriCorps members matters either. Totally. I, I think that's actually hurting your case because it's like right. there's not that many people. If you said, I was, I was, you don't even need the one of two people. Just say, I was chosen by the director or after the hundred year floods in Colorado. Well, hmm. I was chosen by the director of the Red Cross to be his right hand, period. You got to kill indispensable there, too. Mm. Oh, yeah. You don't want to oversell this. That's real annoying. It also hides the fact that you're the director's right hand. That's you. And is there an, a, a better title for that? What were you actually called? Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind using that phrase. I mean, I think people know what that means, but I... Yeah, I mean, you don't have to have it, but it's pretty powerful already. I mean, yeah, the right hand is kind of indispensable by definition, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it, it's for sure. Why? I don't think many people want to have their right hand chopped off. So it's I, I w- yeah, get rid of indispensable. I also I totally agree, Ben. That out of eighty AmeriCorps members is yeah, you know, almost makes it sound. Oh, that's it. There were only eighty of you. Yeah. Like it sounds sort of minor leagues. If you were chosen by the director it, and you don't mention the one of two, it's just like, wow. Okay. So clearly you're recognized for your abilities to head up this disaster relief. Yes. Okay. I was but chosen otherwise because- good, right? Sorry. Otherwise good content. I mean, this is focusing on the person. It's a strong point. This is starting with a strong foot. Says the word I and yeah, I, I'm it's got, yeah, the, that's a great fact. So I hope we see more facts like the director of the Red Cross choosing you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was chosen because of my willingness to take on significant extra responsibilities, comma, 
My previous experience as a wildland firefighter with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, comma, and because of my fluency in Spanish, parentheses, necessary to serve the Spanish-speaking communities in the remote and rural flooded mountains of Colorado, end parentheses, period. Oh, my gosh. So, Anonymous, my prediction is that you write long sentences. <laughs> I'm afraid the rest of these are going to be very long. Uh, also, this that one sentence is, real is not, long. Wow. not parallel. I was chosen because of X, my previous experience, and because of Y. Like, Oh, you would need to yeah, either get rid of that second because of or add another one. Yeah. But m- better to just get rid of it. <laughs> get rid of all this. I don't like this either. I was chosen because of my willingness to take on significant extra responsibilities. That's telling. I just have to believe you that that's right. why you were chosen. I um, I think it's much more persuasive to say that I was chosen because I had worked as a wildlife, well, <laughs> wildland firefighter. How about you just don't even say I was chosen because of? Yeah, I, I'm debating that as well. Although this is a nice fact. I don't know if there's another way to get in there or if it's just part of your resume no, or what. But. No, but why don't you just say previously I was a wildland firefighter with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Sure. And I am fluent in Spanish. You know, necessary, whatever. It's too long. So <laughs> these sentences need to be shorter. But... I think you could just, it's going to be pretty obvious that that's why you were chosen. Yeah. It's, it's telling to say I was chosen because of, and especially that whole willingness to take on significant extra responsibilities, either show me that or don't say it. Cause I, I don't, I don't want you to just tell me that. Also, we've mentioned this before, but whenever you're using the word of, it suggests, although it's not always the case, but it suggests that you're about to give us a noun as opposed to a verb phrase or something like that. When we say because of, for example, the thing that comes after it is a noun, right? Because of, quote, my willingness, that's a noun, my previous experience, noun, my fluency, noun, as opposed to telling us I did X. So when you say my fluency in Spanish, nouns are abstract. I'd rather see something like I am fluent in Spanish, which is helpful for many of the Spanish-speaking communities that were affected by these floods, right? It's like, oh, okay, well, clearly yeah. you needed that. He's he's a, it's passive here. Mm-hmm. The construction he keeps using is, was, to be construction. Mm-hmm. I was chosen because of, instead of just saying, I worked as a wildland firefighter. I speak Spanish. I am. I, yeah, I speak Spanish fluently. I like, I speak Spanish fluently much better than, you know, chosen because of my, I don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, we say to start sentences with I all the time, but if you really want to talk about why you were chosen, you could say the director chose me. (laughs) Like just make the director the subject of the sentence. I, I agree. We don't necessarily need to say that, but you can have other people be the subjects of your sentence. Right, the very first sentence, right? Could, could it doesn't have to say I was one of two people who were chosen by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could just be the director of the Red Cross chose me to be his right hand yeah. to provide disaster relief in Colorado. Yeah, that would be that would put an interesting focus on the director, right? You could say in 2003 after the 100-year floods devastated Colorado, comma, the director of the Red Cross chose me 
to be his right hand to head up disaster relief. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, continuing. Yep. My major responsibilities in Colorado were to survey community members to figure out their basic human needs, parentheses, food, shelter, clothing, etc. End parentheses, period. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, etc. Mm -hmm. And I think we know anonymous <laughs> Sorry. needs to chill out with the parentheses too. This is twice already yeah. in three sentences that he's gone into the parens. Mm -hmm. Look at the construction too. My major responsibilities were to yeah. do these things. Why don't you just say, I did this, I did that. Yep. Okay. Working 72 hours per week. I made assessments and drafted reports that were relied on by Red Cross headquarters to determine disaster relief resource distributions. I, I wouldn't do the 72 hours. Attorneys work like 80 or 90. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound that great. Just say seven days a week if that's what you did. That sounds like you're heavily involved or don't even, I don't know if I would even say that. Yeah, I mean, just working around the clock. This is disaster relief, right? Yeah. It's the Red Cross responding to disaster. 72 hours doesn't even sound like that much for disaster relief. <laughs> it's, a, it's like, well, it's wait, a very what? specific number. It almost sounds like three days or something. Well, dude, that's 10 hours a day, seven days a week. For, uh, that doesn't sound like very much if you're doing disaster relief. No. No, that's a I would pretty think you would be, normal. Yeah, anyways. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you literally be working around the clock if you're trying to rescue people from a flood? I, I, I would... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would think you would crash out for a few hours, but I, I don't see how 10 hours a day is that impressive. So I mean, yeah, this okay. is post disaster. So anyways, oh, oh yeah. Okay. All right. Oh yeah. He's, he's drafting reports. He's not actually like getting in a boat <laughs> going out trying to save somebody. Get that report done now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like that. What I like about that sentence is I made assessments and drafted reports. Yeah. At, at least it's like, here's what I did. I did this. I did that. I yeah. like that. So, I, I like would that change style. made assessment. No, it's assessments is a noun. So I would say I assessed, assessed. Yeah. and then say what you assessed. Right now it's abstract, right? I made assessments yeah. of what? You know, the dining facilities? Right. Like, um, right. Yeah. Good point. Mm -hmm. I worked side by side with the director and other Red Cross volunteers traveling to flooded communities and speaking to Mayors, government officials, firefighters, community residents, and officials from other nonprofit organizations who were there to help. <laughs> you could cut the who were there to help for sure. We get it that everybody's coming together here. I don't love I worked side by side with as the that's the verb of the sentence. I mean, it could just be I spoke to. Sure. We know you're already the right hand. Yeah, right. So then side by side doesn't. How about just with the director? Mm -hmm. I spoke to mayors, government officials, firefighters. That would sound so much better. By the way, most lists max out at like three items. And that's not because in life everybody's only doing three things. It's that if you tell someone more than three things, they tend to start to fall asleep. So you have to choose the three most important things. And I'm cutting this stuff out of people's lists all the time. Just the other day, I was reading a list that said, you know, we've worked with the biggest 
hedge fund managers, et cetera. And they were listing all these different things. It's like, that's cool that you did all of these things or that you worked with all of these impressive, impressive people. But by telling me eight different people that you've worked with, I now remember none of them. If you tell me one or two or three, even three is a lot. Sometimes I'll just cut it down to one. I'm like, I know you did X and Y, but X is more impressive than Y. And now by saying both of them, the waters have gotten a little muddy. Just take out Y and now we have X and it's like, you did X, X is impressive. So anyways. It's it's just too many words too. It's like it says officials twice. Yep. Government officials and officials from other nonprofit organizations. Okay, well, so government and nonprofit officials? Yeah. And we already know that you talked to residents. So get rid of that. I don't see I mean firefighters that's cool, but it I would really focus on the big the big fish here. Mayors and I wouldn't even say government officials. I would say which agency head did you talk to? Talk to them. FEMA head. FEMA, what director, right? Something like that. That's concrete, visual, and it's high up the ladder. That's a 35 word sentence. <sighs> I think, I mean, I, the first time I ever learned a maximum words per sentence, someone told me 35 was the mm. max. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think for anonymous, he needs to go more like a 25 word. Yeah. Like hard maximum. There's just mm-hmm. no reason this sentence, so much of this stuff could be cut out of there. I mean, you're traveling to flooded communities and then later in the same sentence, you're speaking to community residents. Yeah. Why are you saying the word community twice? Why are you saying the word officials twice? Mm-hmm. Why are you traveling to them and then speaking to them? Like, <laughs> why are you working side by side with the director and traveling and, and speaking, speaking. Yeah, there in you the go. same sentence? Yeah. I mean, if you're speaking pick, pick with one. them, we know that you got there. <laughs> And you're doing your job. Yeah. I spoke to mayors, FEMA officials. I don't know, whatever. Okay. Um, So yeah, these go through this again and just cut out so much of the fat. And just, if you, if you try to go with a hard 25 word limit on your sentences, I think you're going to find that it just sounds so much better. You just, you're going to need to stick with that discipline. When you get good at writing shorter sentences, you can sometimes mix in a longer one if you really need to. But you rarely need to. Rarely need to. And a lot of times I'm taking sentences and I'm just like, well, we could just cut these into two sentences and it just sounds better. And it's you see the word. And, yeah. It's like that people just love using and and linking mm-hmm. two sentences together. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. <laughs> period. Yeah. The period is your friend. Or okay. even even like words like so or because. I'm a fan of transition words. They help the writing flow. But a lot of times you still don't need them. You just cut them out and it makes sense. You understand why the person is saying what they're saying next. And earlier in the same piece, we had an example of that with the, uh, I was chosen because of. Yeah. It's like when you say that you were chosen for disaster relief, then you say, I was a firefighter. It's like, yeah, okay, I get it. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> That makes sense. That was a good choice yep. by the director. You don't have to say, I was chosen because of. Okay. Yep. Next paragraph. That was all the first paragraph. Next paragraph. Mm -hmm. My sense of compassion and desire to help people emanate from my childhood. Cut. (laughs) Don't care. Literally don't care what you said. This whole paragraph, I bet I don't give a shit about. (laughs) Yep. Do not care. I think I I can't. All kids want to help other people, really. And I just don't. I'm not admitting a child to law school You were a firefighter. I don't care why you became a firefighter. I want to know about your work. 
for the director of the Red Cross doing disaster relief. Like what what happened to that? Yeah, it's like you skimmed over that and then went backward in time. You, you got an opportunity to actually talk about lawyer shit. It, the previous sentence, you were speaking to mayors and and government and nonprofit officials, and you were like doing r- real work in the real world, and and it's it, it's connected to could be connected to lawyer shit. You're talking about distributing disaster relief funds assessments and reports and stuff like that does seem, you know, at least legal adjacent. Oh, for sure. That's all regulated in some way, shape or form, at least by the agency that's overseeing the money. Yeah. But now all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to hear how it's also pure telling with that first sentence, my sense, my sense of compassion and desire to help people. I already was going to sleep. Yeah. And then emanate from my childhood. I'm like, Oh God, I don't <laughs> I just don't want to know. I don't want to know when you wanted to become a lawyer and I don't know when you wanted to, when you got compassion. What? Okay. No. At an early age, I was driven to achieve in order to escape a toxic home environment. I grew up in a cramped two bedroom house with my mother, father, and three half siblings, including a physically and verbally abusive older brother who was sent to prison at age 18. My father was an uneducated mechanic with severe mental health issues that led to several suicide attempts. For much of my childhood, my mother was my family's sole provider who leaned on me for emotional support. Coming from a home life marked by domestic violence, drug abuse, and insolvency, I was in an intolerable situation and learned early to depend on myself because I had no other choice. To escape my home environment at age 15, I began working as much as 30 hours per week in fast food restaurants while attending high school. By my senior year, I was working full-time in a corporate office and finishing high school on an independent study program that allowed me to teach myself with textbooks and do all my schoolwork at home. When I turned 18 in 2007, I rented a room and began living independently. One comment about all these sentences Anonymous has gotten a little shorter. Yeah. A lot of these were easier to read. (laughs) That is much better writing. But it's also, I would cut that entire thing and consider using it in a diversity statement, but definitely not in your personal statement. An optional, yeah, essay prompt would maybe invite this. I mean, it's interesting, Um, but it's, it's not personal statement stuff. Absolutely. It just doesn't make you look like a lawyer. I mean, you're, you're coming from, I don't, there's, there's things I don't like about it. I, I, I don't like the cramped two bedroom house. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a two bedroom house. Mm -hmm. There's people who live in one room. There's people who live in their cars. I don't know that that detail does what you think it does. Mm -hmm. I don't, really think I need to know about your physically and verbally abusive older brother who was sent to prison or your father's mental health issues and suicide and all that. It's like, that's, it's like a bummer kind of. Yeah. Right. You're supposed to be putting your best foot forward here. You're supposed to be selling me on the idea that you're a lawyer and you coming from these background, this, you know, working fast food and all that. It's just, it's nothing to do with lawyer shit. Yeah. It's sort of, (sighs) I mean, it half in in some ways it garners sympathy, I guess, but that's that's not necessarily going to help. Um, I think what you're trying to do is show that you worked a lot 
when you were young and you were able to be independent when you were younger. What would be more interesting is what you've done with that skill that you learned at a young age. A lot of 18-year-olds are completely lost in their life, but they figure it out in college and now they're ready for law school and you're going to have to go against them. Did you learn anything since then that shows your hard work and so on is going to pay off now with the people you're competing with now? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, no, t- completely. If you're, cause you're trying to sell, yeah, you're, you're trying to sell the idea that like, wow, look at my amazing work ethic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm resilient and I work my ass off. Okay. But you're an, also an adult and you've been working in, you've been a wildland firefighter and you've been presumably a college student and you've been working for AmeriCorps and the Red Cross and if you're so great at stuff because of your amazing work ethic, then why don't we just talk about those things? Mm-hmm. All the adult things that you must have been kicking ass, right? If, yeah. if you are such a hard worker because of all this background stuff, then you must have been kicking ass. I would rather, yeah, definitely hear about the ass you have kicked in the last two years instead of like going back to childhood and getting beat on by your brother. I mean, it's a bummer. Like I, that's a bummer, but I, I don't, yeah. I, I just, I wouldn't go any, that whole paragraph I would cut. Mm-hmm. Okay. Since 2007, I worked as an intern, file clerk and paralegal in five law offices while attending college part-time and full-time. Okay. This is starting to sound like a resume, like rehash. Yeah. Rehash your whole life. Yeah. You could have just said while attending college, you don't need to put part-time and full-time. And yeah, listing everything you've done. I don't well, tell me a story. Show me something. Yeah. Working side by side with attorneys has inspired me to want to become a lawyer myself. Wasn't he working side by side? He earlier, <laughs> he was working side by side with the director. Two paragraphs later, he's working side by side with attorneys. You could just say working with attorneys. Yeah. Here's a general piece of advice for everyone. Don't say the phrase side by side more than once in your personal statement. If ever, <laughs> or potentially ever, because I mean, then I actually question, like, were you really working side by side with attorneys <laughs> or were they in their office and you were in a shitty cubicle and they're like, site check this now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. In 2009, I decided to pursue a paralegal degree to supplement my real world experience with book learning and enrolled full-time in the Pasadena City College ABA-approved paralegal program. It's on your resume, though. After earning my paralegal certificate in 2010, I was promoted from a part-time file clerk to a full-time paralegal. That's also on your resume. Yeah. Yawn. I chose to study two extra years to acquire an A.S., in paralegal studies because I wanted the advanced degree and additional expertise. Uh, What? Yawn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Resume yawn. <laughs> well, it's an associate degree. Yeah. You have to have a bachelor's to go to law school. So I don't, I'm just not like you're, you're pumping up your, I did two extra years to get my associate's degree because I wanted an, <laughs> the advanced degree and additional expertise. <laughs> okay. After I received my paralegal degree, I decided I wanted to do something more meaningful with the practice of law. My 10-month AmeriCorps 
assignment in eight states helping the environment and people in dire need led me to switch direction in the law. I chose to work in different law offices that helped property owners recover from fires and floods and offer legal services to low-income clients and those in marginalized communities. While working at these jobs, I continued to advance my knowledge with two more associate's degrees in social sciences in 2015 and a BA in legal studies from University of California, Santa Cruz in 2017. Resume, resume. What's going on here? This is just like, like this is a, a prose version of your resume. It's, it's almost like he feels weird about having three associates degrees or something. <laughs> or a BA, right? Oh no, two, two more and a BA. I believe it's three associates degrees yeah. and a BA in legal studies. But I mean, BA in legal study, you could have just said, I mean, yeah, all the work experience and the certificates and all the associates, it's all on your resume. I'm not learning anything. I mean, like I already knew you were in AmeriCorps. Even. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very confused what the purpose is of that paragraph. Okay. Last paragraph. My education and experiences have helped to prepare me for the challenges that lay ahead in law school and beyond. Telling, telling, telling. Cut that entire sentence. <laughs> I was driven to join disaster relief efforts and the AmeriCorps firefighter program because these jobs presented tough challenges and gave me the opportunity to work as part of teams with an important mission in the public service environmental field parentheses, <laughs> including the Nature Conservancy, comma, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, comma, American Red Cross, comma, and Habitat for Humanity, end parentheses. Oh my gosh, did you do that with one breath? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell. I didn't hear you take a breath. Hold on. Word count. <laughs> 57 <laughs> words. Holy shit. Whoa. Whoops. Wow. That's, that's the name of this podcast episode. 57 words and counting. <laughs> 57 words in one breath. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not good. That's not even close to good. It's telling because oh, it's all telling these jobs presented tough challenges it's listing all of your shit that's already on your resume. I don't understand why you're listing so many things from your resume. You got to quit with the parentheses. The parentheses are getting you in real, <laughs> real bad trouble. There's three different spots in this, in this statement that have parentheses and they all need to go. This is a super common problem. And this is a problem that we encounter when people start working with for the personal statement service. It, it's like people want they cover too much so they end up saying nothing at all right it's like they're too high up in the clouds you need to drop down to earth get us in touch with some experiences happened and so we do want a lot of details we want a lot of information but we're talking about details not high level sentences that sort of brush over months of experience right? In a sentence. The first paragraph alludes to the fact that you did a lot of shit. Let's just talk about even one month while you were serving as the right hand for the director of the Red Cross. Yeah. One these week. tough challenges 
Tell me about a challenge. Tell me one of them. Don't just, don't just tell me there were tough challenges. Show me one of them Mm -hmm. so that I can see you in action. Cause I'm not, I mean, this wouldn't help clarify your resume at all. This is just like listing every single thing on your resume. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I haven't learned anything. The only thing I learned about you that wouldn't be on your resume is the stuff about your childhood and that stuff. I don't, that's not appropriate for this personal statement. Mm-hmm. So there you interestingly in your childhood, you actually started telling us a bunch of details. Um, it still covered a huge period of your life. It, it covered like the first 18 years of your life. That's still too high level, but Gosh, there's got to be so much to say about the work you did for the director. Let's just talk yeah. about that fact after fact. I did this. I did that. We had this problem. I came up with this solution by calling so-and-so and asking them to intervene on behalf of so-and-so. Like, what happened while you were there? What You must have run into challenges, financial, logistical. I don't know. What were your challenges did you help solve any of those challenges or at least help implement solutions to those problems? Tell me something. Teach me something about what happens in disaster relief after a hundred year flood. Yeah, that would be our feedback. I mean, we would, in the personal statement service, I would like highlight tough challenges. Mm-hmm. And then I would comment, can you please tell me specific details about one of those? Yeah you know, or two of those. Can we hear some stories so that we can get, yeah, we just, we got to get a story. This is, um, it's a very common, this is a very common, uh, way that people write personal statements and it's just, it's not good. (laughs) It's, it's real boring. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one thing this guy turned. I'm sure he has so many awesome stories to tell. He's a previous wildland firefighter out there helping the Red Cross speaking Spanish to, you know, like try to get these flooded people the relief they need. And yet somehow just ends up with a real boring personal statement because it didn't tell any story. Yeah. This first sentence made it seem like we were in for a big treat, right? You were chosen by the director. Okay. What happened? Yeah, the director then disappears. Uh, it, the director doesn't come back. I mean, other than working side by side with the director, mm-hmm. traveling and speaking, but it's not. So, and weirdly, that's 2013. So that's way before he just got his bachelor's in legal studies in 2017. Yeah, what's happened since then? That's well, a long he's, time ago. He's been doing paralegal stuff for a long ass time. Paralegal certificate in 2010. But he started in 2007. I don't know. The resume is actually going to be easier to read. <laughs> yeah, but this is, I, I am starting to get, boy, I don't, he's got the paralegal certificate in 2010. Then he's got the disaster relief in 2013 with AmeriCorps. Then he goes back and gets associate degrees in 2015 and then the BA finally in 2017. I don't like the time shifting that's going on in this document. Yeah. We're in 2013 in the first paragraph. Then we're in childhood and teenage (laughs) years in the second paragraph. Then we're since 2007 working and rehashing all the way through all the convoluted step-by-step of all the different certificates and associate degrees and bachelor's degree 
from 2007 to 2017, but I don't, that's all listed on your resume. So I don't care. That just is weird. Yeah. It's like paragraph two covers zero to 18. <laughs> paragraph three covers 2007 to 2017. So that's 10 years. It's you're, you're just too high level. Just going like you're covering everything. It's so, yeah. So this is a 28 year old or a 29 year old. I would expect to hear, and okay, so you got your bachelor's later in life, but you've been a paralegal. You've been, you've been a full-time paralegal for a long time. I, I would, I think I might want to hear about that. Yeah, possibly. The AmeriCorps thing almost seems like a distraction. It could be. That's maybe why he scanned over it. It's a te- in the last paragraph, you see that it's a 10-month assignment. Mm-hmm. in eight states that then helped him switch direction in the law. But I don't, I, I don't need the whole origin story here. I just need, uh, I need a story about you and what you do. I need to see you doing things. You're not doing things. You're just like accumulating degrees. Yeah. I would love to see a story from the trenches of legal practice like something in the law office that you've done in the last year or two though yeah it was challenging and that you helped work on yeah it's like that people think sometimes that that's boring i think but it's that's again that's that that's that lawyer shit and it (laughs) it's good to put lawyer shit you've been working in a law office you could show that you really know what you're getting yourself into you could show that you're actually good at and going to be good at the practice of law by telling a story about your paralegal practice See, the interesting thing is that it's boring on the one hand because it's about paralegal stuff but at the same time if you're telling a story it's not boring in the way that this personal statement is boring it started out interesting because it was a story and then the story just got brushed over yeah 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 either tell that story or tell some other story but definitely tell a story don't just rehash everything on your from your whole childhood, that's just get, get rid of all that stuff. And then the, the resume rehash needs mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, uh, Anonymous, for writing in. I hope you find that constructive. You want to do this LSAT India question? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll let you read it. Okay, LSAT India 2009, section one, question six says, Elephants are often observed licking clay from mud holes. There is ample evidence that other animals ingest clay because it neutralizes toxins in their diets. Since elephants eat many plants that contain toxic compounds, their licking of clay is probably triggered by toxins too. Hmm. Triggered by toxins? The toxins cause them to eat the clay? Maybe. Maybe. The previous sentence did say because. Yeah. So that's their conclusion. Their licking of clay is probably triggered by toxins too. I don't think it's outlandish given the fact that other animals do that and they're doing that and they eat things that have toxins in them. But I have to be open to the possibility that they could be licking it for other reasons. Just because this is one reason for animals to lick clay doesn't mean there are other reasons, such as its tastiness. (laughs) I have no idea. And since we're trying to evaluate the argument on our own terms, that would be my concern. Do you have any other concerns? Yeah, this is an argument that I read and I go, oh, I see. Your evidence does, you know, 
tend to point in the direction of your conclusion. I don't, I don't hate it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's ample evidence that other animals ingest clay for this reason. Mm -hmm. Elephants do eat toxins. So, and then it says probably, which I like. Yeah. It not, you know, cause that softens it a little bit. I was bit, ready right? for it to say they lick clay for this reason only. <laughs> right. It is certain that, and then we would really jump on them about yeah. that. Mm -hmm. But when it says probably triggered by toxins too, it's like, Oh, well, if that's your hypothesis, I mean, that's a reasonable hypothesis. Maybe we could test it. Sure. But you haven't proven your case, but it's, it's reasonable as far as it goes. Yeah. But if there's cool. a problem, they might be licking it for other reasons. Right. Totally possible. Any alternate cause would be a, a big weakener. That'd yeah. be a big problem. Yeah. Or uh, how about um, when you eat a lot of clay, it causes you to crave toxic plants. Yep. And it's flipped around. Yeah. <laughs> Which one falling if true most strengthens the argument? Well, my prediction is that they're going to say something like, there is no other reason to lick clay. Right? It's not tasty. It doesn't provide nutrients, et cetera. Something like that. I mean, eating clay does not cause you to eat toxic plants would also be a good one because that would defend against a reversal of cause and effect. Sure. Okay. A says some of the clay that elephants lick contain minerals that are nutritionally essential for any animal. Okay. So that is suggesting that maybe there is some other reason for licking the clay. I don't like the fact that it says some, which is just at least one piece of clay. Maybe well, more. it's a weakener anyway. We're looking for a strengthener. That's a weakener. Oh, and there I am going off on a little <laughs> tangent. <laughs> That's why we do these together. Yeah. <laughs> Can we take the test together? <laughs> Okay, so that's a weakener. That's out. Elephants typically drink water immediately before or after they lay clay. Uh, not sure what that has to do with anything. Yeah. Okay. Just, okay, that's nice. Yeah. So sweet. I like water too. See, older elephants typically ingest more clay than young elephants do. Okay, doesn't we don't know anything about older elephants whether they have more toxins or not. So this doesn't help or hurt. Yeah. D. Elephants do not lick clay at times when their diet consists almost entirely of toxin-free foods. Okay, so when they're not eating toxins, then they're not licking. That would reinforce this correlation, which would suggest, although not prove, but suggest that maybe they are eating the clay because of the toxins. Yep, I, I feel like that fits with the argument. I feel like if they had the option to add that to their case, it would make their case stronger. Yeah, and, you know, we don't really have a lot of time on this test, so I say we just pick it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay, we'll read E. The clay that elephants ingest does not contain any compounds that are toxic to them. Oh, well, that's great. If it did, that would possibly weaken it, but maybe not, because it's still saying that it helps neutralize toxins. So I, I, I feel like the other one is better. So the answer is D. D. Okay. Well, that was question number six from LSAT India. We're still looking for a hard one, I think. Those first six in this uh, section, at least, have been real easy logical reasoning questions. Yeah. Hey, so I have a but, proposal. Maybe we should yeah. do like six, seven, eight logical reasoning questions and then jump to like a game or a passage. So we're kind of oh. rotating through these, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I kind of want to see a game too, because I feel like when we saw the LSAT India games before, they were kind of humorous. Oh, all right. I don't remember Sounds why, good. but yeah. 
Okay. Can't wait. That was show number 172. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Cool.